0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. Um, Question for you. How does someone change? So if someone came up to you and was like, hey, I'm dealing with this. I want to be a more patient person. What would you tell them? Try to (laughs) pray. Well, here's a question for you. How do you change? And how come you haven't changed into the person you want to become? You see, every one of us in our lives have an area we want to grow in, but we haven't grown in it. Why is that? And what does the Bible have to tell us in how we can become changed people, the people we want to be, those people that change from the inside out. Well, the good news is that if you are a Christian, God wants you to become who you deep down want to be. And God's given us everything we need to grow into the person he wants us to be, and we want to be. But that life that you want, it's impossible To achieve by your own abilities, but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, this is my my big idea. It's this the life you want is led by the Holy Spirit. Well, before we get into our teaching from the second half of the book of Galatians, let me pray and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we all have areas in our life that we want to change in. We want to grow. We want to be more loving and gentle and kind people. But we know we're not there yet. Lord, would you, even through the uh, preaching of your word this morning, show us in the areas and the steps that we need to take to be led by your spirit more and more. So help us this morning, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're in the latter half of our study of the book of Galatians. And Galatians is a letter written by a man named Paul to a group of churches in modern-day Turkey. And the theme of Galatians is that we, Christians, through Jesus, have been liberated from the grip of sin to walk by the Spirit. And you'll see on the screen, the Apostle Paul gives us these two categories of characteristics that that can define a person. On the left side, you'll see the works of the flesh, and on the right side, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, but when Lindsay read that list, two things happened uh, to come to mind for me. First is, no one wants to be characterized by the works of the flesh, Right, right, There might be a few that you might be like, okay, maybe only on the weekends. But in general, no one wants to be characterized by that left side. And the other thing that came to my mind is that we all want to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. But man, I am not there. I don't know about you. There's probably one of those that goes, that's where I want to grow in. Is it patience? I'll be patient with my coworkers, patient with my children, patient with my spouse. Is it kindness while you're driving, right? <laughs> is it uh, faithfulness? Well, you want to be that person who is dependable and you can count on. What is it if you self-control? You see, we want to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit, but we don't measure up. And I think when we see this, we go, yeah, I know, I know. I, I, I don't have enough discipline in my life, right? You have all these urges in your own heart and your mind. And, you know, what I need is I just need to be a more disciplined person. I need to be someone who's more rigid, who kind of takes control of my life, Right? It's like a tug-of-war between all those vices and all those virtues, right? It's a tug-of-war between, oh, I, would wanna, I want another donut, and oh, no, I, I, I shouldn't do another donut. Oh, I, you know, I, I want to tell this story about my neighbor that is so juicy. No, 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 I shouldn't do that. Right, so in our minds, we begin to think, well, it's like it's my body versus my will. It's my, my uh, urges versus who I want to be. Uh, I, I want to be a disciplined person. And you know, this is the story we see in the, in the $11 billion self-help industry, right? You go to Amazon or a bookstore and you see one of the most well-sold books are those that will give you four easy steps or seven easy steps or 12 rules to tell you who you want to become. Or maybe there's this uh, class for $29.99 and you'll be miraculously changed into someone who's got a lot of discipline. And underneath those books, the story is this. They're disciplined people. And those those are the good people. And they do good things and they succeed in life. And then there's the bad people. Those are the undisciplined people and they don't succeed in life. And you wanna be the good people, you wanna have a really tough will Be really disciplined. You don't want to be like those bad people. Well, there's a problem with that story. You know, if you have ever read any uh, biographies of great women and men of history, or even the great men and women of today, and you maybe see a documentary on their life, you'll know one thing. Some of the most disciplined people in our culture, you would not want as a mom or a dad, or a brother, or a spouse. You see, some of the most disciplined people, you'll see, they're categorized on that left side. Their life is categorized by the works of the flesh. They're the ones that if you get in their way, they will fly into a rage. They're the ones that their their life is fueled by envy and jealousy. And you look at their personal life, their family, their marriage, train wreck. And at the same time, Some of the best people, some of the kindest, the people you just want to be around, sometimes those those are the people who've worked in a factory in obscurity for 40 years, or been a stay-at-home mom and nobody knows about, but you just love spending time with them. They are a joy to be with. So that's the problem with that, the self-help story of you just need to be more disciplined. You know what's a deeper problem? is it patently unbiblical. Look with me at verse 17. Galatians chapter five. Let's see if we can get there. For the, di- the, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Now this term flesh... Is not merely talking about our organs, our skin, our knees, our bodies. Because if you look back at the the, work, the list we have on the works of the flesh, some of them are those things that we do with our bodies—sensuality, sexual immorality, those sorts of things. But what about jealousy? Right? Jealousy is not like a you know a thing you do; it's something that comes out of your heart. What about envy? You don't do an envy, it's something inside of you that comes out in various ways. See, when you see the word flesh in the Bible, it's not talking about your skin or your bones, it's talking about every part of you that has been touched by sin. That includes our bodies, that includes our minds, and that includes our hearts. You see, the flesh is all of us that has been touched by sin. And we see this word spirit. Now notice in your Bible, spirit is not a lowercase. It's an uppercase. What that means is that word spirit, it's not talking about your will or being disciplined. It's talking about God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that you have been given at salvation to live within you. So the reality is that there is a tug of war going on in your life, but it's not between your body and between your will. Rather, it's between the sin that still is in your life and the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, just as salvation being liberated from the grip of sin That's a work of Christ, a work of God that you did not participate in. Same with growing. Our growth in the Christian life is not us bucking up. It's us releasing our life to the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us. Because you know as well as I do, we can trick ourselves we think, oh no, this area of my life, this is good. I'm good. And then the Holy Spirit goes, watch out. (laughs) That's still something that's been touched by sin. And I want to heal it and redeem it. See, the good news is that the Holy Spirit is not fighting against you, but ultimately is fighting for you. For you to become the person you ultimately want to be. And this growth, this life, it's not based on your will, but it's based on the spirit's work. Look with me, the second half of verse 17. It says this: the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, the desires of the spirit against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Why? What's being done to keep you from doing the things you what does that say? Want to do. I, I hope that strikes you like it strikes me, like, really? I thought, I thought God was there to kind of keep me in check. No, you want to do that? Stop it, right? You want to have fun? No fun, right? No, what the scripture tells us is there's a tug of war between the sin in our lives and the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit has, has control and power in our lives, We do the things we deep down ultimately want to do. We become the person that you and that I want to be. We become a person who's characterized by love, by joy, by peace. We become patient people. We become kind to people, even if we can't get anything from them. We become the people that we want to be. And that work, from envy to love, from sexual immorality to goodness, from rivalries to faithfulness, from anger to patience, all of that is work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's not us mustering up enough strength. It's us surrendering to God. You know what happens? (laughs) When we become saved, we, what Scripture calls, we get a new heart, a new Uh, engine of desire, so that the things you really want, those tastes that you really have, those change once you become a Christian. Uh, It reminds me of a story of Tyler, Tyler Mansfield. He, uh, a young man in my congregation when I was a, a pastor of a small church in rural New Hampshire. This man, Tyler, had no background in any type of faith, and his father was abusive And Tyler had been an alcoholic since he was 15 years old, because his dad was an alcoholic. His dad's dad was an alcoholic, and his dad's dad's dad was an alcoholic. So his dad just gave him alcohol whenever he wanted. So Tyler's life was a disaster. Well, through myself and then another man who hired Tyler onto his work site as a day laborer, Tyler came to faith. And Tyler knew nothing about what it means to live a Christian life. And after we came to faith, there was a weekend, and then I got back, I got together with him like on a Tuesday, and <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. So I was like, hey Tyler, how's your weekend? He was like, well, this crazy thing happened. So every weekend I go down and I get drunk with my buddies, and we try to hook up with girls, you know, sometimes successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully. And he, go, he looked at me with all sincerity, he goes, something weird happened. It wasn't fun this weekend, and it, he goes, he goes, what, what, what happened to me? I go, man, you got saved. The Holy Spirit came into your life. You have a new heart, and now you have new desires. That's what happens in every single one of our lives. That when we have the Holy Spirit, our tastes, our ability to taste changes. We Things that were so bitter to us before become so sweet, and things that we love to just drink in. Those have become bitter to us. See, in order to know how to live this out, right? We all want to know, okay, yeah, got, got you, Josh, but I want to live this out in my life. In order to know that, we have to understand two really puzzling phrases in this section of Galatians first, uh, verse 18, and the second half of verse 23. It says, Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And the second is, but against such things, there is no law. What does this mean? Now, it seems on the face of it to think, well, if, okay, so if, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit, and then you just like, you just like do whatever you want, and you know, like don't have to worry about anything. Like, well, not quite. You see, let's, in order to understand, let's take a quick detour through what the Bible means by the word law. We see the word law throughout the New Testament, and what it generally refers to is the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And scholars have classified the Old Testament law into three basic categories. The civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. The civil law includes instructions for how the nation of Israel was to function as a nation. Now, if you ever read through the Bible and you got to that section in Exodus 21, they talk about like ox and like, all right, if your ox kills another ox, you got to like pay him like 30 shekels and you're like, this is challenging to apply to my day, right? You're talking you here about, like, don't eat the shrimp. And I'm like, oh, you know, I like shrimp. You know, and so, so you're like, what, what, do I do? what do we do? Well, what those are, those are civil laws. The, the laws about ox are kind of like personal liability laws. They're to guide the nation of Israel so that they could be a fair and just society. Those civil laws have gone away when the nation of Israel was finally dispersed and no longer had a nation of their own. They were dispersed throughout the ancient Near East. All right, and then the second category <clears throat> is the ceremonial laws. Those are the laws written to outline the religious expressions and religious exercises of the Jewish faith. This includes the sacrificial system, right? You read through the first five books of the Bible and you talk about bringing Two pigeons and a lamb and some wheat, and then they burn it. And, and again, you're like, ah, I'm not quite sure what to do with this here. Well, what's going on there is God was, pl- was giving us illustrations and giving us a structure to understand the significance of Jesus' work on the cross. You see, when you would sacrifice the lamb, that point in the future to the pure spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, And when we talk about the purity of the priests and how they would have to do so much to make themselves pure, that points to the purity of our one and only priest, the mediator, between God and man, Jesus Christ. So in Christ's earthly ministry, in his death and resurrection, the ceremonial law had been fulfilled. So you do not need a priest to go to God. You have God, the Holy Spirit, living within you, who has been given by Jesus Christ, So any system that says you need a priest in order to be saved, that's wrong because the ceremonial law has been fulfilled. If we need a priest, why why don't we still need lambs? Third category is the moral law. This is what we need to pay special attention to this morning. These are the laws that come out of the character of God and are binding for all people at all times because we were all made in the image of God. You think, the first five books of the Bible, they were given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Well, hundreds of years before that, we see the story of Cain and Abel. Cain killing his brother Abel. Well, God held Cain accountable for his action even before the Ten Commandments showed up. What that means is there's a law written on our hearts that we're all accountable to. That's the moral law, no matter what faith background you have, no matter what country you live, there are certain laws, these moral laws, that come out of the character of God they were we are all responsible for. So, when Scripture says, in verse 18, look with me, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law, Paul is directing his attention to the moral law. And what he is saying is this, If you're saved, and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and you are living according to the Holy Spirit, you don't need a list of minimum requirements to keep in line. Why? Because you don't relate to God as a taskmaster, you relate to God as a father. You see, you see what I'm saying? If you look simply to the law, To understand how you're to live your life, you're simply going to meet these minimum requirements. But God has given you the Holy Spirit. And in this Holy Spirit, he's making war and working against everything in your life that's been touched by sin. And that happens not by checking off a few boxes, but by living Toward God by trying to grow from a minimum standard into who God wants you to be. Let me illustrate it like this. All right, I've got, a, I've got an accountant named Jim. His office is in Independence. I met him one time. And in January, he sends me a manila envelope with some forms. <clears throat> Fill out that envelope, put some of my, my, my pay stubs in there and I send it back to him. A month later, he sends me my taxes, you know, write my check, send it back to him. That's the extent of my relationship with Jim. He's a great accountant because really my chief concern is that he meets the minimum standards for federal and Ohio tax law. If I don't hear from the IRS, I'm good, right? What if I treated my wife that same way. What if I came home and said, hey Deborah, I did not commit adultery today. <laughs> I did not abandon you and the, the children today. I did not even spend all of our money at the Racino in Northfield. She'd be like, uh, okay, there's some dishes in the sink if you're looking something to do. <laughs> you see, we don't relate to someone we love by meeting minimum standards. We relate to someone we love by wanting to grow deeper in love with that person and become a better person for that other person. You see, that's a key difference in this self-help idea and what we're talking about today. Self-help, become better for yourself. But the fruit of the Spirit, become who God wants you to be so that you can serve other people. That's what we're offered by a life that is led by the Holy Spirit. And for people who live that way, there is no law because you don't need it. You're so far beyond it that you're growing in deeper and deeper love with God Almighty that you're not looking to how to meet minimum standards, you're looking just how to become someone for someone else. So if you want to be the person who you want to be, that life is based not on rules, but it's based on relationship. Relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right, verse 25, look with me. If we live by the Spirit, what we've just talked about, let us also... Keep in step with the Spirit. This is a marching term. It says, let us march, keep in step with the Spirit. You know, for all of us, every single one of us, are facing questions right now. Or, we'll soon face major questions. What do you do with your aging parents? Do you put them in a home? Do you have them move in with you? Do you move them where they are? What do you do? What do you do with a child who for whatever reason is not gonna be able to work like normal people and they're gonna be a dependent their whole life? What do you do? Do you take that promotion to move your family to another state and take them out of uh, their schools and their church community? What do you do with that rebellious child Right. every one of us is gonna come to a question where, when you look at the Bible, you're, you're not gonna find an answer. Now hear me out. You know, should I take the job in Florida? You know, I mean, you can do this. You know, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Okay, maybe that means I go. Oh, you know, let me try it. Right, you can do that. I've heard people do that, not recommending that process for members of Carver Valley Church. (laughs) See, I think every one of us would love, like, one day of the Holy, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, there's an angel saying, you know, Matt, here is thy plan for thy life, and a page-by-page synopsis of every day. But you know, if we got that, you know what we would do? We'd be like, thanks, God, and we'd turn our back and go our own way. Why would we need God? No, God is not giving you a plan for your life, stop looking for it, but he's giving you a presence. He's giving you the presence of the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you every step of the way. And what that does is it gets you to the place God wants you to get, but you gotta rely on him. You gotta trust in him deeper and deeper, more and more, even as you age. It can often get more and more challenging. Even the deeper your relationship with God goes. So the life you always want is led by the Holy Spirit, but it's not a plan. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Well, we've come to the section of our sermon where we usually provide you some practical steps. I don't have any of those today. So me and uh, Pastor uh, Brian, Pastor Chad, Pastor Nate, uh, who else was there, Pastor Joe, uh, you know, the, the greatest mind, theological minds of CVC got together for an hour and a half to try to think through, All right, what do we tell our people to do? And after an hour and a half, they came up with this, good luck, we'll be in there, we'll see what you say. <clears throat> I'm like, thank you. So I don't have you know, six powerful, practical principles of powerful spirit living or whatever. Rick Duncan might, he wasn't in that meeting. <clears throat> <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do, we do have a guarantee that's better than practical steps. That the Holy Spirit has guaranteed, has promised, Jesus Christ said it himself, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He has promised, however it looks, to guide you into all truth. You know, this, as wrestling through this, this reminded me of a man in our congregation, a young man named Caleb McKenzie. Some of you guys know Caleb. So Caleb was born blind. He can see, like, just a few shadows um, in his whole life. And so he has an ability, or he has a a lack of ability that most of us have. So he has Hamish. Hamish is a three-year-old golden retriever. And Hamish always wears this harness on him. And then out of the harness, we see uh, we have a handle. And what Caleb does is he holds on to Hamish's handle and feels when Hamish goes forward. And what Caleb does, he goes forward. When Hamish stops, he stops. Hamish turns left, he goes left. He turns right, he goes right. You see, Caleb can't see where he's going. He has to hold on and feel, experience the pull of Hamish. And there's a lot of trust that goes on there. Because he has to trust Hamish not to embarrass him, right? Run him into a a wall or the corner of a door. or, Or maybe have him trip over a speed bump or something like that. But even more so, he has to trust trust Hamish with his life. Like, Caleb never ceases to amaze me. This guy works downtown for Marriott, he commutes. So there's there's Caleb walking across Superior with Hamish. It doesn't matter what's going on in Caleb's mind, it doesn't matter how many cars he hears, things are flying down the road, people are bumping into him. Caleb's job is to feel. The sense experience if Hamish is going forward or Hamish stops now I think being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the spirit it 's kind of like that, but god 's given us a person and not a golden retriever that he leads us, he guides us, he holds us by the hand, and those decisions to make, those um, directions to go those uh, actions to take, we just have to be humble enough to be guided by the Spirit. See, I, I was talking to my dad about uh, this message. I, you know, I called in the, the, the recruits here. I'm like, Dad, what do I do? <clears throat> he goes, I don't know, but he goes, I'll tell you this. You won't find it in the Bible, but I think the Holy Spirit works off a 10-second rule. He, he gives you the impression and after about 10 seconds, you'll go, nah, I don't know, is that really the Holy Spirit? Maybe not. And you talk yourself out of it. And he goes, all right. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. You see, the task of, 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 of someone who, who wants to become, someone who exhibits the fruit of the Spirit, not just for yourself, but for others, what we do is we seize that 10 seconds. And we say, God, the Holy Spirit, wherever you lead me, I will follow. Wherever you go, I am willing, no matter if the cars are zipping by, I'm gonna be obedient. That's what is our task. Now, is it easy? No. But he guarantees you that he'll do it. He'll guide you, and he'll even empower you to live up to who you wanna be. You know, maybe you, even in the teaching this morning, have sensed the Holy Spirit <laughs> for 10 seconds, and you're like, ah, and you try to uh, talk yourself out of it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Is there a phone call you need to make this afternoon? I'll tell you, in the preparations message, there's a phone call I'm going to make this afternoon. I've got to come clean with somebody. What is that for you? Is there a decision you think the Holy Spirit wants you to make, and you're like, too costly? I tell you what's really costly is if Caleb McKenzie said, Hamish, I don't need you, grave danger. How much more a Christian? What is it God is leading you to? In a moment, we're going to sing. And I want to encourage you maybe there's been something that the Holy Spirit has been nudging you toward. You need to make, you need to send that text during the song. You need to send that email. You need to write down the name and circle it and say, I'm going to do this when I leave today. What is that for you? What is that keeping in step with the Spirit that you need to take today? You know, for some of you in this room, maybe you see that works of the flesh, that list, and think, that's me, and there's nothing I can do about it. You're wrong. God loved you so much and he has a design for you. And the reason you feel that pain is that you're not living according to that design. You want to live a certain way, but you can't. And you're right, you can't. But God can give you something. It's called the Holy Spirit to empower you, to free you from sin and change your life from the inside out. He'll give you new tastes, new preferences. The Holy Spirit begins to work in you. he gives give you new actions. He'll give you a new heart. But you can't do it on your own. And if that's you this morning, you got to say, Jesus, I can't do it on my own. Please, help me. Give me your Holy Spirit. If you do that, you're not, it's, you're, you're not just going to be like, everything is better. No, but you start on a process. Just like a seed that falls into the ground, has to sprout and grow, and it will produce fruit if it's healthy. So Will you, if you give your life to Jesus? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we we cannot do it on our own. We recognize that. We, We affirm that. We relish in that. Because if we could, we wouldn't need you. And when we don't need you, we go our own way. When we go our own way, we are toast. So, Father... Fill us with your spirit as we surrender our lives to you. Lord, I know there are people in this room (laughs) who have argued away a call, whether it's a call to their neighbor, whether it's a call to their family member, whether it's a call to overseas missions, to a job change. Lord, right now through your Holy Spirit, would you be relentless? They might argue it away in 10 seconds, but Lord, stay there through your spirit. Work in their heart. Move their emotions. Move their mind so that they will be obedient to your call, so that they will become a person who pours forth the fruit of the Spirit so that other people will come to know you. For we don't want to just be happy with where we're at, we want to grow. Lord, would you do that in our community? Would you do that in our lives? And Lord, we pray that when we become a community, just pours forth the fruit of the Spirit, people will say, hallelujah, that's Jesus in their life. Not, wow, that's some some disciplined people. Lord, we cannot do it by ourselves, but only through your power. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name.